0: Hello, spirit fam. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I am one of your hosts, Angel.
1: And I'm your other host, Brandon. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense.
0: Because in space, none of it makes sense. It's all boundless but with meaning that you must associate for yourself. That's what I'd say.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we are meaning-making machines.
0: That's true. It's all about the story. The story that we tell ourselves about this life. The story we put into the world that is us. Yeah. Um, Hey, everyone. We have been gone for a while. We... I just had to take a life break, but I will say we missed, now that we're here, back in the zone, um, missed having this platform to connect with everyone.
1: But also, even without this particular arm of our platform, we felt connected to y'all.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: So we just want to say thank you. And for those of you who are like, what are these two homosexuals talking about in a cryptic way?
0: And who are these homosexuals? Maybe uh, even yes. <laughs> Good place to start. This is the first time you're listening. This is not a usual episode for us.
1: No, this is not a usual episode. But it felt like an important one because I'm Brandon Alter. I'm a spiritual healer. I am a tarot reader and an astrologer, a writer, a performer, and a teacher. And two weeks ago yesterday... My mom passed away. And the reason you haven't heard from us is because I've spent the last six weeks, you know, down in San Diego, tending to her in the hospital, and then tending to my own grief when she was no longer here in form. That's
0: probably pretty hard to follow up, but who are you? (laughs) (laughs) wow, really set me up there. Sorry there. (sighs) Hey-o. Uh... I'm Angel Lopez. I am a writer, a film producer, an astrologer, teacher, a healer, and queer as fuck.
1: Yes, you are. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this episode is going to be messy. It's going to be vulnerable. It's going to be, like everything we do, authentic as fuck. But I think we should just say trigger warning, because we're going to be talking about issues of death and dying and grief. We just felt like it was important for all of you, our community, to know what we've been moving through. And as spiritual teachers and just spiritual practitioners, obviously, the last six weeks have been a PhD in (laughs) spirituality. I learned so much day in and day out in that hospital, holding my mom's hand. I'm sure Angel learned a lot. And Angel just lost his dad 16 months ago. So the fact that we both have kind of inhabited both roles of both the the bereaved and the support to the bereaved, we just felt like maybe that's worth having an episode about. Maybe that's worth talking about and just kind of sharing our insights and our questions. Mm -hmm. We will have a little segment We're going to give you all a cosmic update because it's been a while. And for some of you, you might be like, I haven't known what's happening in the (laughs) heavens for a while. So we thought we'd plug you back in there because don't you know, I was looking at that astrology every day in that hospital. And my mom passed away when the moon was conjunct Uranus in my mom's home sign of Taurus. Mm -hmm. Actually, I want to start there if I can. Yeah, sure. So... I'll talk more about this later on in the episode, but the last day my mom was here, my brother and I went to the hospital as we did every day. And I woke up that morning to a bunch of text messages from my cousin Cameron. And my cousin Cameron is kind of like a brother because his mom, my mom's younger sister, passed away 16 years ago of ovarian cancer. And when she passed away, my mom took Cameron and his brother Daniel into her own as if they were her children and so cameron and daniel and grant my brother and i have always kind of felt like this band of brothers and Cameron has been amazing throughout this whole process because he's walked this road. So he sent me a slew of texts saying that his mom was on the earth plane that morning because his mom always said she would come through in rainbows. And so there were rainbows everywhere in his kitchen and in his bedroom. And as he was driving, a song came on the radio, which was the song that he and his mom danced to at his bar mitzvah. It was like that mother-son dance. And so he just said, I know my mom is here on the earth plane today. And there was another text from my mom's therapist of 21 years, who's this amazing spiritual practitioner, and the text said, Brandon, your mom came to me last night, and she has messages for you and your brother. Can I come to the hospital? Can I deliver these messages? And of course, being who I am, I was like, duh, come to the hospital. So we're there at the hospital, my brother and myself, and my mom is there, but she's not really there at this point. Her body's there, and I know she can hear us, but she is just a body struggling for breath at that point. And so uh, my mom's therapist comes into the room with my brother and I, and she delivers some of these messages, which I'm going to share with you now because I think they're really powerful messages for everybody. And one of those messages was to always follow your North Star to listen to that still small voice inside yourself and to let that be the compass for your life. And my mom's therapist gifted both my brother and I these pendulums as a symbol, as a symbol of a wayfinder and that the wayfinder is within and to not let yourself be influenced by family or culture or society. And another message, which was to release anger. Because there's a lot to be angry about in the world, in my own personal life. And that's not to say that there isn't a sacred power to rage, because there is. But life is too short for anger, and my mom's message was to tear up that anger and to bury it in the earth. And that was also really profound and something I've been trying to do daily ever since she passed. And there were a few more things that that transpired in that 10, 12-minute encounter between the four of us my mom's therapist my mom my brother and i and then my mom's therapist left we stayed in the hospital with my mom for maybe another hour and a half two hours and at that point you know my brother and i had been there every day in the hospital watching her body decline and it was just becoming so painful particularly because at the end and some of you might be familiar with this She was making this, like, death rattle sound, like a gurgling, and it was just, I just couldn't be there, and I knew my brother couldn't be there, and I just looked at him, and I said, Grant, we don't have to be here. We can go, and so we hugged my mom, we kissed her, we packed up our stuff, and we left for the day, thinking that we would just be back the next day as we had been for many, many, many days. I'm so tired. I'm driving back to my mom's house where I've spent, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, and I am two minutes from my mom's house, and I get a call from the hospital. And it's this amazing nurse, Hector, who was just my mom's favorite. My mom didn't want any uh, biological male nurses. She just she was she was a double tourist. She was um, she was very proud, and she was very private. But Hector, she allowed. She would always allow Hector. She loved Hector. So Hector called me, and he said, "You need to come back." And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant she was gone or she was about to go, but I just turned around and I drove back to the hospital and I called my friend, Shawnee, who's a gazer, who's probably listening. And I said, I'm driving back to the hospital. I think my mom is dead or dying. I need you to talk housewives to me right now because I just couldn't focus on anything else I needed a container for my mind and goddess bless Shawnee she just talked to me housewives for 22 minutes and I pulled into the hospital and I parked in the 30 minute expectant mother parking because that was what was available and I ran up and I got to the hospital room and she was gone and of course I had like the full on hospital movie moment where I just like sobbed uncontrollably and like Hector held me And I realized that if my mom had wanted to pass with my brother and I in the room, she'd had all day. I mean, we were gone 40 minutes when she left. So I think I'm telling this story. I'm kind of starting at the end, even though death is also a beginning. uh, Because as I was driving away from the hospital the first time, I was like, what's the astrology of right now? Because I knew the moon was in Taurus. And I saw, oh, the moon is conjunct Uranus. I'm not experiencing that. I'm literally driving away and I'm thinking, huh, moon conjunct Uranus, weird. Hasn't really been a moon conjunct Uranus day. And I feel like probably in that moment, my mom was leaving her body. And then 20 minutes later, I get the call. And I think that's significant also because my mom was a double Taurus. She was a Taurus sun and a Taurus rising, actually the same degree as Angel's Taurus rising, 21 degrees, a degree away from my North Node in Taurus, which is 22. And the hospital where my mom was for months had a lot of art in it. And there was this one beautiful... It was like a geometric print. It was a very long piece on a center wall just outside of her hospital room. And we must have passed by it multiple times. Angel knows where the story is going because Angel's the one that made the connection. And the day that Angel came to visit my mom, we were standing outside looking at this piece of art, and it was called Taurus. There were so many of these little moments that helped me kind of accept this whole process as being guided by an invisible hand because even though nobody really wants to lose their mom and I really didn't want to lose my mom, I also understood that this was the story. This was how it was always supposed to go. So astrology is real. (laughs) And it continued to help me and confound me. But it's no coincidence that my mom left that day when her sister was clearly on the earth plane to help usher her into the great what is, and also that she was really holding on, because she was really holding on For 11 days, actually, since she made the decision to switch into comfort care, which is essentially palliative care, which is to no longer treat the disease, but just make her comfortable as she prepared for her transition. So that was 11 days since she made that decision, and and she was definitely holding on. She was a double Taurus till the end, stubborn as fuck, but she was waiting for those messages to be delivered. And I think the fact that her therapist came in at 1.30 p.m. and delivered those messages, and my mom was gone by 3:49. And then I uh I packed up that hospital room with my brother as quickly as possible because we wanted to get the heck out of there because she wasn't there anymore. I'd never seen a dead body before. And I can tell you the body is just a vessel. That is not an idea. That is a truth. The body is on loan to us, and it is miraculous, but it is not who we are. I'll tell you I I kissed my mom's body. And that wasn't my mom anymore, which I think helped as we moved into burial proceedings and things of that nature. Even at the uh, at the burial, the day of it, there's a Jewish tradition where the last act of kindness you can perform for somebody who's passed is to pour dirt onto their casket. And Traditionally, it's those who are the, the most bereaved, the closest family who do it first. So my brother and I were supposed to be the first to take a shovel that was hanging out in this big pile of dirt and pour it on the casket. And I heard my mom's voice in my head saying, do it, do it, baby. I'm not in there anymore. So, we will talk more about this. I have some more insights to share. And for those of you that feel connected to us and have been wondering, where the fuck are the spiritual gaze? Might be nice for you guys just to know where we've been. Um, but first, we do want to talk astrology and let you know where we are, astrologically speaking, um, in this episode's Cosmic Update. Update. Okay, so it's Cancer season. <laughs> cancer season is an emotional season. It is the season that answers to the moon, and any planet that is hanging out in Cancer answers to the moon. So If the sun is in cancer, it answers to the moon. If Mercury or Venus are in cancer, they answer to the moon. And the thing we know about the moon is that it changes all the time, about every two and a half days. And so cancer season is moony and moody because every two and a half days, we're changing tactics. We're changing how we feel. We change not just our minds, but our hearts. And so, right now, we are recording this episode in the Scorpio moon, which makes sense because we're talking about death and transformation and deep in our feels. But by the time you listen to this episode, the moon will probably be in Capricorn. Um, Maybe it'll even be in Aquarius. And that will change how you are feeling because there are a lot of different types of cancers. You know, like if you're a Cancer sun, there are 12 different types of Cancer suns, because wherever your moon is, that is the quality of Cancer sun that you bring. If you're a Cancer moon, you're just a Cancer moon. <laughs> There's only one type of Cancer moon, and it's Angel Lopez. Thank you. So we uh, we are in the cardinal water. We are deep in our emotion. My mom was buried on the Cancer new moon. No coincidence there. But I think the first thing we really wanted to talk about, just in terms of what's happening in the sky is the Capricorn full moon.
0: Yeah, the Capricorn full moon, uh, it's on July 13th. So it'll just happen right before this episode comes out. Yeah. But it, you know, really creates like a reverberation, right, for the rest of the astrological season. So really like those last two weeks of cancer season um, are, you know, triggered by the energies of this Capricorn full moon. And you know, the Capricorn full moon is happening at 21 degrees Capricorn and it's actually uh, you know, going to have some interesting other elements at play. Mercury is going to be conjunct the sun Um, it's about 4 degrees away, 17 and 21 but I'd say close enough to really have like that additional emotional component to our thoughts, our ideas, our opinions. So just knowing that that Capricorn full moon could have you know been a catalyst for some real deep emotional shares or even some emotional down you know emotionally tinged um, downloads you know like coming through into the mind you know there is like a really strong intuitive hit. That can come for you with this Capricorn full moon, uh, if you're if you're looking for that.
1: Yeah, and this Capricorn full moon is literally the moon polarity that Angel and I live in all the time with his Cancer moon and my Capricorn moon.
0: Yeah, should we should we just down and dirty that for the people? Yeah, so
1: <laughs> you know, Cancer is the deepest part of the chart. It is ancestry and lineage. Cancer is the crab with the soft meat on the inside and the hard shell, or sometimes soft shell, depending on what sort of crab you are.
0: (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Whereas Capricorn is decidedly unemotional in how it presents, but not unemotional in its true heart. So as a Capricorn moon, an angel can attest, I am just as sensitive as he is. I just don't exhibit it as much because Capricorn would rather stand on the mountain and look down at the lake or the river of emotion, whereas Cancer wants to be in that river of emotion. Some would call that stifled. Some would just call it (laughs) self-sufficient. You know, that that Capricorn moon is very self-sufficient. It is able to take care of itself. And like Capricorn, it's looking to the future, whereas Cancer is looking to the past. Cancer energy can be very nostalgic, whereas Capricorn energy is very much willing to sacrifice in the present moment for a perceived future gain. And that's where our Capricorn moons, guilty as charged, can sublimate emotions because they are not useful in the moment. However, I would like to think of myself as an evolved Capricorn moon, and I will just say in just speaking back to what I've been going through, there was a day where I told my mom, okay, I'm just going to start crying in front of you now. Because for many weeks, when my mom was still like valiantly fighting her cancer, whenever I would get emotional, I would just turn my back to her and like look out the window and just kind of like let the tears fall because I didn't want her to be influenced by my emotion. But then at a certain point, I think it was once she decided that she was no longer going to keep on with the treatments and she was going to let somebody else fight it for a while. I just looked at her and I said, I just need you to know that I'm going to start crying in front of you now. And of course she was the queen of we share our feelings and she wanted that. So just FYI, the Capricorn moon can be emotionally accessible and can process emotions in real time. But sometimes we're just like, eh, what's the point? I'll just like wait until it's safe and then I'll process. Right. Whereas cancer says it's not safe until I process.
0: Yeah, I think and that's where you see the real challenging aspects of it, right? That the Capricorn moon can get into a groove of pushing, pushing, pushing or, you know, like, yeah, I'll deal with that later. Yeah, I'll deal with that later. Yeah, I'll deal with that later until it's like literally just like an explosive volcano that then needs to erupt. Whereas I think... Oh, com- are you describing the early years of a relationship? <laughs> I'm describing last Tuesday. No, I'm kidding. You? I'm just kidding. Um, whereas I think conversely, you know, the challenge with the Cancer Moon is that the Cancer Moon makes like a full 10 course meal out of its emotional, you know, world where it can like easily want to just like kind of sit at the buffet of the emotions and... You and know, she's never full. Right. And not, not not be full because it's like, oh, I just kind of want to sit in this. This is comfortable. It feels good. It's what I know, um, which is also that connection to the past for cancer, right? You can then kind of get stuck in the past. So really when you're looking at like a Capricorn full moon energy, on some level, it is allowing you the opportunity to release some of those emotions that have been pushed down that have been held on to for too long that were like saved for a rainy day. And with that mercury connection, you can find a way to understand them, right? to like mentally process them, to verbalize them if needed. Now of course, it can't that can be painful. Um, you know, that's not to say this is going, this, you know, is a fully easy full moon to work with, um, because it can bring up older wounds and things of that nature.
1: Yeah, and you might be feeling a lot of resistance because it's the moon in the sign that, frankly, they do the worst in. You know, the moon in Capricorn is not where the moon really wants to be. The moon wants to be in the warm waters of Cancer. That having been said, this moon... This particular full moon in Capricorn has a really useful trine to Uranus, and Uranus is making a sextile to the sun. So what that means is that Uranus, who loves to shake shit up, who loves to create surprise, can help you maybe change your habits or provide some sort of liberatory opportunity for those emotions to come out. And you can't talk about Capricorn without talking about Saturn—
0: Yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, what's nice about this full moon is that, yeah, you look to the moon's ruler, Saturn, and you see that Saturn is doing almost an exact trine to Venus in Gemini that day. And so just to see that that, you know, supportive energy is there, I think can allow for some real like breakthrough work to occur in some relationships, you know? So you may find that, yeah, there's challenging conversations to be had uh, perhaps, or they want to come up, but they're ultimately like really for the better yeah. of the relationship in the long run.
1: Yeah. And I mean, Saturn is work, Saturn is responsibility. So it's it's heart work, you know? And Saturn's currently in Aquarius, which is the other sign that Saturn rules. And so this full moon answers to Saturn who is in their home sign of Aquarius, in beautiful relationship with Venus. So if you move through the resistance and the first bridge of discomfort, you will more than likely find some liberation, some release, and some real beauty, and possibly a whole new story around how you deal with your emotions. I'll tell you, I certainly have been experiencing that, you know, as somebody who always said, like, oh, I really envy Angel because he's just able to, like, go into a room and cry whenever he needs to. And my emotions, you know, like, I just have to, like, you know, catch them on the fly. They're like a visitor who only shows up, like, three to four times a year. Well, not anymore, honey. (laughs) Not anymore. You know, when it shows up, I really am, wherever I am, just stopping what
0: I'm doing and, and
1: allowing it to move through me.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, then that's, that's grief. Honey, that's grief. And that will yeah. be our
1: deep dive. You know, we're going to do a little deep dive and we're going to talk about grief and our experiences with it. And some of you are no strangers to grief and some of you have yet to become inhabitants of its landscape, but ain't nobody moved through this earth plane without experiencing grief at some point. So we just thought, Angel, who's had some time with it, and me, who's just at the beginning of the journey,
0: we'll talk a little bit about it.
1: But is there more astrology?
0: Yeah, I just think it's important to mention, you know, we've had a couple uh, planetary shifts, You know, we had uh, Mars shift in the Taurus at the beginning of this month, where it'll be for a little bit. So things slowed down, Mm -hmm. which is nice in a way. But if you've been enjoying that momentum of
1: Mars and Aries, you're definitely going to feel a little bit of a damper.
0: Yeah, but I think it's important to look at it from a perspective of uh, now you actually get to do the practical work that was inspired by the Aries time. You know, like you get to take the, the slow and steady approach to the inspired ideas, to the action that wanted to happen. And that's challenging, right? Because now you got to do like, oh, I just have to do like more of the day-to-day work. Yeah, you're but in the process. You're yeah, the but weeds. that's really how it's going to get done. Yeah, how but it's that's not as build. Well, it can't be. Oh, okay. Well, teach me how. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it can be. And I think that's where you have to like embrace some of the Venusian aspects of the Taurus, right? I've spoken like a true Taurus rising. Yeah, you just know how to balance it. Um, You know, yeah. Pull away from that Capricorn big game, big goal mentality and just kind of like create small goals for yourself and um, not beat yourself up if you don't even meet those.
1: But that's true because Taurus is all about enjoyment. So Mars and Taurus is like we got to enjoy the process because if we're not enjoying the daily work, we're not going to enjoy the goal when it's completed.
0: Yeah, I think it's about like plugging back into the real passion behind it. Because sometimes we get like immersed in like some big goal and we realize we're doing it for ridiculous reasons, right? To impress whoever, to satisfy like, you know, some societal whim, whatever it is. To be able to afford a Birkenbag. Exactly. They're so ugly, y'all. I don't understand (laughs) it. I find them so ugly. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, that's just a status thing, right? I'm sure there's
1: some gays out there who just literally clutched their pearls, who just gasped, It was like, <laughs> what are you
0: talking about? I know. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. I've I yet think to see some one. of them are gorgeous. I just think the design of them, it's like so bulky. I mean, I'm a little offended because, I mean, the four I have are beautiful, <laughs> I think. <laughs> Y'all we ain't uh, got no Birkin bags. Uh, Yeah, no. We ain't even got no Louis Vuitton. I'll be living inside one. Um... And then I think good to know, too, that right after on the 17th, right after this comes out, uh, we'll see Venus shift into Cancer, which I think is nice. It brings like a bit of an emotional connection.
1: Yeah, Venus likes to be in Cancer. Mm -hmm. It's a welcoming environment for Venus. And you may find that while Venus in Gemini is like meeting new people and more social, Venus in Cancer really wants a doubling down on the people that are, as Angel has said in the past, soft blanket people. (laughs) Yeah. You know, people that you can wrap around you and provide comfort.
0: Yeah, who feel like home. It's important to like reconnect with those people who remind you who you are deep down. Uh, And then on the 19th, Mercury will have completed its very swift run through Cancer and enter Leo just in time for Leo season. So I think what's nice about that is that we can allow a bit more of like a playful, joyful spirit into our ideas, into our thoughts, um and, you know, prepare ourselves for that Leo season shift that comes on July 22nd.
1: Yeah. And we should just let y'all know that even though we took a break last month for obvious reasons, we are going to have our Leo season Astro Club, which is going to be Thursday, July 21st, from 6 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific time. And the day before that, we're going to have our monthly Spirit World Circle. And we're even going to have breath work the following Saturday... So you can find all of that on our website and we look forward to seeing your beautiful faces because we have definitely missed this beautiful community.
0: All right. I think we should get into uh, the rest of our conversation.
1: Yes. But before that, let's just remind our beautiful community that there's another fucking Instagram scammer out there the spiritual gays with two G's and they will message you and they will say like, do you want a moon reading for 2022? And then they will take your money. And that is not us. So Instagram, which is just the worst, frankly, at dealing with this, uh, has allowed the scammer to continue to exist. But just know we spell our name with one G because spelling is important to us because reading is what?
0: Fundamental.
1: So just know If you get a message, we will never message you for a reading. We trust that if you want a reading, you will reach out to us. We don't need to fish for it. Um, But I just felt like that was important to say.
0: Uh, And thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. Um... Just keep reporting them.
1: Keep blocking them. If you have burner accounts or second accounts, just report them from every account that you have. Because eventually, I hope Instagram will take notice. I mean, that's what happened with the first scammer, the spiritual gaze. Now we have the spiritual gaze. It's terrible. <laughs> so it's, it really just breaks my heart because there are people who are part of our community who are falling prey to these scammers. And it's just, it's very upsetting that we're yeah. kind of powerless and that they're using our face and our likeness and our names to, to prey on poor, innocent people. Yeah. There's not a good karmic cycle for them. Okay. All right. So grab a box of tissues or a cocktail or a cup of tea, or a crystal, or a stuffed animal. And get ready for this episode's
0: Deep Dive. Dive.
1: All right, so I'm down there in San Diego. I'm living in my mom's house. I'm living in my mom's bedroom which is gorgeous, I have to say. I'm very comfortable, double Taurus. And I'm taking pretty good care of myself. You know, in the morning, I'm moving my body. I'm either doing yoga or I'm going for runs on the beach or in the neighborhood. I'm definitely drinking caffeine, so sorry about it. But, you know, you, you reach for what you need when you need it. And I'm acting as my mother's advocate because there are so many doctors in the hospital and they all are just paying attention to one part And it's up to the patient to kind of aggregate all this information and then make choices. And it was just too much for my mom, especially because the pain she was experiencing was out of control. And so she was on a lot of pain meds to keep her just comfortable. So I was there every day chatting with every single doctor and just trying to make sense of how we were approaching the situation. And I was doing a pretty damn good job of it, frankly. And I walk in on this one Tuesday and my mom just looks totally different. Like she just looks beatific. She's like glowing in the face, like truly. She was so relaxed and she just said, Brandon, I've come to terms. I've been preparing behind the scenes for some time and and I'm accepting that this is the path for me. And, she just seemed so at peace with that decision and she had not been at peace for so long. I mean, she had spent like two months in the hospital and then before that a month in the hospital and before that a month in the hospital, I mean, she just spent all of 2022 in the hospital. And so I was just like, okay, it's not what I want. You know, I want you here forever, but my job is to honor what you want and to make sure that your needs are being fulfilled. And so we began to transition her into comfort care. For weeks, I had seen outside certain hospital rooms this like beautiful, multicolored butterfly, it's
0: like laminated,
1: an yeah, like a laminated illustration. And I was always like, I wonder why there are butterflies outside certain rooms. And then I found out that that's when people transition to comfort care. That's that's the hospital's way of kind of communicating to everyone, like this is a person who is now in the active process of dying. And. Dying is very different than death. And this I did not know firsthand. Death is easy. Dying is impossibly hard. Now, I don't know fully what my mom's experience was because I wasn't having that experience. I was witnessing that experience. And I'll own it, probably projecting onto that experience. But it was 11 days. 11 days of losing her bit by bit and I would sit there and at first you know she felt better I think she felt relieved it's what they call sometimes the bounce back and we had a couple of really great days my brother and I with my mom and had really great conversations and my mom in true double Taurus fashion. And she was a jewelry designer, but she also was a huge jewelry aficionado. So there's a ton of jewelry. And we would bring in um, certain trays of jewelry and ask her to tell us the stories behind certain stones and certain pieces. And even as she was so tired, she would perk up and she would say, Okay, just one more tray. And then we would get through and she'd be like, Oh fuck, what about this ring? And just one more. I mean, it was a it was I will cherish those memories for the rest of my life but eventually we kind of lost her as we knew her you know we we just had a body we just had a body but all of the nurses and i just gotta say nurses are fucking angels on this earth and we had some incredible incredible nurses who i will never forget for the rest of my life as well like they were unbelievable unbelievable humans a capacity i don't think i have to be present for dying because this is my mom who is one of the people i love most in the entire world i mean with the exception of, like, my brother, my father, Angel, and Noche. I'm like, who else could I love more than my mom, right? And even I had to draw from, like, wells of strength. I didn't even know that I had just to sit there and be present with her as, she, as her body, you know, was gasping for breath and and just this, this slow decline of the body. And I talked to one of the nurses, and I said, dying. I said, this is, like, an open secret, isn't it? Like, this is gruesome. This is grueling. This is so hard. And this nurse kind of looked at me and said, yeah, it doesn't get any easier, but we don't really talk about it, you know, particularly in the West. I think other cultures, indigenous cultures, Eastern cultures, they understand what it is to die well. Dying is usually a process unless you're lucky and it just happens like that, right? But in the West, we're so uh, afraid of death and we try to forget the death is going to find all of us. And that's what my mom would say too. She's like, you know, everyone's going to end up here at some point. So we got to talk about it. And this nurse said, yeah, this is something most people are unaware of, you know, as, as a process. And I have to say, you know, I really wanted the process to move a lot more quickly because once I was unable to communicate with my mom, even though I know she could still hear the nurses say the hearing is the last thing to go. So I would talk to her as if she could still hear me. And even the day before she passed her boyfriend was sitting with her in the morning and holding her hand, and he just said, "Tamara, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand." And she did squeeze his hand, so I knew she was there, and I and I really did talk to her as such. and And that afternoon, the day before she died, I asked one of the caretakers to leave the room, and I was just alone with my mom, and I just talked to her. And I admittedly was like, "This probably sounds a little stifled or a little stilted because I'm, you know, this is just kind of a one ended conversation," but. It was actually a really beautiful moment and I even sang her some songs, um, some songs that, you know, I've been working on for the tarot musical that I'm working on, songs that nobody has heard. And I left the room that day and I really felt like light. I felt like I don't know, in some ways I was able to like shift my relationship with my mom, and while she wasn't there, she was still there. That's what I had left of her, and in some ways I think that was the practice for the relationship that I'm going to have with her for the rest of my life, which is that it's not one-sided, but it kind of feels one-sided, even as I start to look out for the messages and the communications from the other side, because I know She's going to be working real hard to communicate to me. I mean, my mom was a very spiritual person. She had a very strong spiritual core. There's an episode that Angel and I did called All About Our Mothers, where we interviewed our mothers on Mother's Day of 2019. And you can listen to that episode. And I listened to it just a couple nights ago. And just to hear her voice was so amazing. And she was my gateway into tarot. And she was a Reiki master and got the whole family attuned to Reiki. I must have been like a 13 12 and we were all Reiki attuned. That was like a Saturday we spent as a family. (laughs) And obviously my love from crystals comes from her. And we would talk about angels and ancestors and all of our, you know, journeys that we would take and the healings that we would go through. And so I know that she ushered me into the world of the numinous and that doesn't stop now just because she's gone. And so we talked about how would she come back to me when she was no longer on the earth plane and we had a couple of ideas and we never really locked anything down but we did lock down was that when she was ready because i know you know once you die unless you have unfinished business which my mom i don't really think had i think she was able to die resolved and at peace um you go away for a while you know in in hebrew uh There's a phrase that translates to being gathered by the ancestors, which I think is beautiful. So your soul is gathered by your ancestors and you hang out in the land of the dead for a bit and you reconnect with the oneness and you, who knows, who knows what you do. I asked the rabbi, I've been talking to our family rabbi a lot. She bar mitzvahed me. So we've known each other for 25 years, which is pretty remarkable. And I said, are there any, you know, Hebrew texts about what happens after we die? And she said, there are, but they're all conjecture because nobody really knows. And I appreciated that. But the one thing my mom and I agreed on was that when she was ready to communicate, I said, I'm not going to force you, even though I will say in hindsight now, I regret not telling her to like pick up the pace a little bit. Uh, I said, come to me in a dream. Come to me in a dream and I'll know. And I will say she has come to me in a dream just a couple nights ago. But of course, I was like, was that the dream? Is that the dream? Or was that just like my subconscious? You know, I was missing her so much that night. And I like had a grief panic attack. And I fell asleep that night and I had this dream that we were in a hotel lobby, her, my, myself and my mom's boyfriend. And, and my mom was kind of at the front desk and she was trying to change the reservation out of her boyfriend's name into her name so that uh, I would have access to whatever I need to have access. Like she was still taking care of me, which was what I was like really crying about that night before I went to sleep was that like my greatest protector was gone. And so I wasn't sure if that dream was just like me needing to feel that because I remember hugging her in the dream and being like, oh, how nice that I can still hug you even though you're dead. Like in the dream, I knew she was dead. And yet I also knew that I was there. It's like weird dream consciousness stuff. Right. And I was like, oh, this must be happening before she dies. Right. So in the dream, I'm living like nonlinear time, which is cool to think about. And then I woke up and I was like, was that the dream? Should I start communicating with you? And then yesterday, and I don't think I've even told Angel this, I was driving home from San Diego because I just spent the day down there with my brother to meet the realtor because we got to start selling her house and going through all the things and all the mundane, ordinary reality things that happens after somebody passes away. And I'm sitting at a stoplight and I'm stuck behind two cars with personalized license plates, one right next to the other. And the license plate right in front of me says, I'm dead and the license plate next to it says tap dance. And I just <laughs> felt like that. My mom was so funny. And I know this probably isn't a very funny episode and I'm and I'm struggling to keep my sense of humor in this moment, but I just felt like it was something about like it's okay to like laugh and tap dance on my grave or I don't know, but I was just like just the the coincidence of that, like two personalized license plates right next to each other. I'm dead. Tap dance. And I was just like, okay. She is, I think, already starting to to try. But also, like, I don't want to rush her because my mom had a beautiful life, but she also had a really hard life. And I know that there's healing and restoration, you know, a real star moment, if you think about the tarot that happens on the other side, and I want her to have that. Mm-hmm. Did you and your dad have any conversations about how he would appear to you once he was gone?
0: No, and I really regret that. Like, I really regret that we didn't have that direct conversation about it um but my mom and i talked about it after he passed and i you know said that i was like really bummed that i didn't have that and um and she was like well you can still figure that out now which i was like yes of course you're right and she was like you know I had that conversation with him and in her conversation with him he had, you know they had decided on hummingbirds because she loved hummingbirds so she was like so why don't you also just know that that's already a way he's he's going to use as his symbolic language you know so so that has been like something for me that that from that point on I mean obviously I've always just like noticed hummingbirds because I love them Um, But I have found hummingbirds show up, particularly around our house, in um, just like really profound moments. Um, And then the only other thing that I tried with my dad was was dolphins, just because my dad was a big Miami Dolphins fan till the end. Even though they were never a very good team since the 80s, but he always was just struggling and it was just like you know a big thing for us and our family the dolphins so uh i had said to him you know just in like my own kind of private spirit and conversation with him you know that like a dolphin would be great way for him to show up and so there have been some nice moments i don't know if you remember but you know when we bought my new car and I was test driving it and I was thinking to myself, like, really, like, should I be getting this car? I don't really know if this is the right car. And then um, I in my head, I asked, I was like, Dad, send me a sign if this is the car I should get. And we were, I was at a stop sign and I looked at the street name and it was Dolphin Street. And I was like, I remember that. Yeah. And I just, yeah. And I turned to you and I was like, this is my car. <laughs> we just, I just like beelined lined the car right back to the dealership, and I was like, "Wrap her up." Yeah. Well, he wanted to buy that for you, totally, because that
1: the money was from his yeah. passing.
0: Yeah. So, um, so there's some of it there, but I do, um, I really struggled with like not feeling a connection to him after he passed. Like that was like a really hard portion of my like grief process. Was like just the whole sense of him not being there. And I know you struggle with it. Like, just that, like, sense of, like, like, you forget you have those moments where you're like, oh, I can't call you right now. Like, this is the moment where I would call you. Like, something happens and you're like, oh, this is, I know who I would call in this moment. And I'm like, oh, I can't make that fucking phone call anymore. And that, and that still, I, I, I had just had that last week, you know?
1: yeah. A friend of mine who lost her father, she said, it's the presence of an absence. And that is very true. It's just like this hole. But it's it's a hole that is palpable, you know? It's like, it's a void that just kind of goes with you wherever you are. And it's weird because I think for me it's useful to think of grief as a landscape because it is like quixotic and strange and changeable and there are like plateaus and mesas and hidden caves and beautiful rivers. And there are days where even with my mom only being gone two weeks, like, you know, there've been a day or two where like, I haven't cried. And then I'm like, is that okay? And then I feel guilty that like, I'm not experiencing more emotion. And then there are, you know, other moments where I've cried so hard, I literally can't catch my breath, which I'd never experienced before. I, I really don't recommend that. Um, I was pretty terrible. And just knowing that, the only thing that's consistent about grief is that it is changeable. You know, it, it, I don't know if it's a horse you ever are able to fully ride confidently because it keeps changing.
0: Yeah. But I would just interject to say, like, as terrible as that deep can't catch my breath cry is, it's also a very necessary valley. To crawl through, you know? And
1: yeah, no, but like literally I could not catch my breath and that was like very scary.
0: No, for sure. I mean, I've had that, I know that experience. Yeah, I
1: never had that. I mean, I've cried hard in my life, but I'd never cried so hard where like I literally was like, oh, I, I need to like shut down my
0: emotions or else I'm going to suffocate. Yeah, it's like heaving, you know? Um, But the intensity of the emotion as it comes up, it's like, that was a thing, a lesson for me was like, though, of course, being a Cancer Moon, I was a little easier to learn, but just like, oh, they, always, you know, it's, it's referred to as waves, right? And like, no, oh, this is a big fucking wave that's yeah. crashing over me. And I just, I'm going to fucking ride this wave. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to fucking ride it. and And coming out from that other side, feeling a little more, serene a little less heavy well that was not my experience i came
1: out of that wave and i was (laughs) exhausted i felt like the seaweed that had washed up on shore
0: but i would imagine on some level you released something even without knowing that's what you were doing
1: yeah i don't know I'm also like an emotional masochist sometimes too. Like, even the fact that I listened to that episode with our moms, you know, I was telling my brother about that and he was like, wow. He was like, I'm not ready for that, you know. But for yeah, me, even was, I'm not ready for that. But I like, and I listened to it and I didn't even cry. I actually just like smiled. I just loved hearing her voice because in the last, you know, couple of weeks, she was in the hospital and like it was still her voice, but it was a different version of her voice because she was so ill and just to hear her voice when it was so robust and she was totally herself just, like, brought me so much fucking joy. And that is the weird thing, too, that the things that make you cry at one moment maybe don't make you cry in the next.
0: I was just saying everyone also grieves differently.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm not, like, making
0: a judgment. Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm just, I didn't think you were. I'm just saying, yeah, like, whereas, like, you wanted to, like, spend an hour with your mom's radiant voice and stories like yeah your brother doesn't isn't ready to like hear that voice because it's only going to just like even probably three words would like you know yeah provoke something that they don't want to like deal with but but it's probably dealing with the emotions in a whole other way i i i was similar like i had like voicemails of my dad that I just was like, I'm not going to listen to, I couldn't listen to them yet. It took me like a week and then, or even two. And then I was like, okay, I want to, now I want to hear it.
1: The day my mom decided that she wanted to move towards comfort care, I said, okay, totally. This is what we're going to do. I'm here with you every step of the way, but I need you to leave me some voicemails. And so she left me four of them. And to be honest, I listened to a few of them before she even passed because I'm an Aries rising and patience is not my strong suit. But I saved one until after she was gone. And two of them, she would say like, hello, it's your mother calling from the other side. And then she was like, God, that sounds so fucking weird. And uh, and so I was already listening to her voice, you know? So I think maybe I was just a little bit more accustomed to it. yeah. And I would go on these like epic grief runs on the beach in those 11 days when she was transitioning and then afterwards too, and I would run and listen to music and then I would listen to one of those voicemails and I would just like wail and cry and cry. And then I would be running and crying and like moving my body was really helpful. Like I totally appreciate the idea that like grief is a wave, emotions are waves and you just have to like, let them move through you. But it was nice to have something to do with my body and to kind of like be running through the
0: wave And then you were just collapsed by the water like Noella. Just have a full Noella cry.
1: Oh, I had those. (laughs) I had those moments for sure. The last grief run I went on before we left San Diego, I managed to get my shoes wet. I was really good about like running right along the water, but never getting my shoes wet. And for whatever reason, I wasn't paying attention or who knows what. And my one shoe just got soaked with a wave. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm just supposed to get wet today. And about, I don't know, three quarters of the way towards the end of the run, I just was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go in because I hadn't gone into the ocean the whole time. I just been running alongside it. And so I literally just like stripped down to my underwear and I was like, I don't care. Encinitas, just deal with it. And I went into the water and it was so cold, but it was, I don't know, it felt like the end of a chapter in some way, you know, just like, uh, Okay. I've been running alongside something, but now I'm allowing myself to, like, be consumed by it. And the metaphor that I'd been kind of working with, oh, man, throughout, throughout the whole process of my mom passing, was, like, this image of bridges, a sequence of bridges, like, over the same river. And so, like, these bridges that kind of go back and forth. And, and we just, like, kept crossing these bridges one step at a time whether the bridge was deciding to, you know, switch into comfort care and then deciding to, like, stop the the TPN, which is the nutrition, and deciding to tell other people and, you know, all these, all these bridges you have to cross. And then when she was, like, in those last few days of just actually dying, when her body was actually dying, I was like, fuck, this last bridge is so long. I didn't even know this bridge could be that long. And I just imagine this bridge that kind of wrapped along the, the coast. And then there's the ocean. And I wasn't sure in this metaphor, like, do I get to go into the ocean? Or like, is it, I just stand on the bridge and I watch my mom go into the ocean. And hey, event that day where I ended up getting wet, I had gone further north than I'd ever gone before. And I came to this part of the beach where I turned to my right and I just saw a series of these three bridges that crossed over this, like, inlet, you know, into the ocean. And I was like, okay. It just it just felt like, I said this earlier too, as terrible and challenging and fucking impossible and grueling and gut-wrenching and exhausting as it all was, it was also beautiful. It was also beautiful that I got to be there with my mom every day and walk with her through that process and be present for all of the doctors and the nurses and and for my family who would come and go and come and go. And I felt this invisible hand. I felt the goddess organizing things in a way that didn't always make sense, but that I could feel was perfect. And even now, just two weeks after her passing, I understand that there's no other way her story was supposed to go. It all makes sense when you look back on it, right? Hindsight, that's the thing about it. And of course, I had time to like prepare for this idea. If you remember some of y'all last summer, she she Persephone-ed, right? She, She got as close to death as you can possibly get and then came all the way back. And so it wasn't like this caught me off guard per se. And, and I had months, you know, I had a full month down in San Diego every day to think about it. You know, I'd go home to her house at the end of the night. Angel was working on a movie, so I was alone in the house with Noche and her dog Luna. And I would just be looking at photos and using her eye cream and trying on her jewelry and just like living in her house thinking about like, is she going to make it? Is she going to come back? And yet there's no way to really prepare for it, you know? Like when it came, when it happened, when I got into that hospital room and she wasn't in that body anymore, it was just like a punch to the gut. Because you can't prepare for, for not having something you have always had your whole life. And yet I trust that it was perfect. It was how it was supposed to go. And you cannot like it and accept it simultaneously. And that's kind of where where I'm at right now in the process. So I think we're going to title this episode Grief Vacation because that's where we'll be when you all listen to it. Angel and myself, my brother and his fiance, we we're heading out to the desert, which if you know me, you know is my sanctuary. So we're heading out to Arizona and New Mexico for a week to take a full-on grief vacation and just unplug from everything that's been going on and put ourselves in the hands of the desert. And somebody once told me, very wise, that... The desert attracts people with grief because the desert needs the water. So I think it's very generous that Angel allowed our vacation to happen in the desert, which is not one of his most favorite landscapes, but because I think our grief will benefit the desert and the desert will benefit our grief.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be helpful and healing for everyone. And my Taurus Rising will be happy because there's a spa day in my future. So regardless of where that is, I'll be fine. And I've definitely like had some, some some of my own like reverberating moments through this process, you know, of revisiting uh, my own experience, and I think even recognizing like that those wounds are still pretty soft, and so it will be nice uh, to also really honor my own grief. I mean, not just like the grief of losing your mother, who was like a a wonderful light in my life and a wonderful support um but also just i think even on some level like reinvigorating my relationship with my dad yeah it's like watching you go through that process like reminded me of of being in that and you know my own experience of some of the things you experienced and, you know, having very similar experiences or, or having to experience very similar things um, that I didn't fully process or understand. So I think it's been helpful just for me on a personal level to navigate it again um, with you to just help process some of the stuff that I just don't feel like I was able to at that time. So grief vacation, here we come.
1: So I think there's like two more things I want to I share here before we pull a tarot card for the episode. And as you all listening know, I am a spiritual healer. And so there was a great pressure on me that I placed on myself. Like, how am I supposed to help my mom at this time? And also simultaneously understanding that, like, I'm not the hired healer here. I'm I'm the child. But there were some things I did do for my mom, which I think are valuable just to share because I can't help but be a teacher. So I built a crystal grid in the hospital room, and I really tended to it, and I was very thoughtful about what stones I used and and how I activated it. And I also knew that I was too close to the situation to be able to journey effectively or take a spirit trip, as we call it, for information. And so I asked one of my friends, who's a very gifted um, practitioner, to take a spirit trip on my behalf. And what he came back with was a mantra. And the mantra was something that I was invited to say to her, to myself. And the more I would say the mantra, it had four parts. It would create like a cube, a doorway. And the more I said it, the more it would create this kind of like tunnel, this this pathway that her spirit could move through when it was time for her to go. And so I must have said this mantra hundreds of times throughout those last 11 days. And I put the mantra into the crystal grid. And so I share the mantra with you now because I think it is universal. I love you. Thank you. Travel well. I will see you again. I love you. Thank you travel well i will see you again and i also took a spirit trip myself in those last few days holding her hand and i i retrieved a particular spirit for my mom to help her with the transition and i hope that helped I made sure I had her permission to do so, although my mom had always given me carte blanche permission to do whatever I thought was best for her because she would take whatever blessings, whatever healing she could get. And the last story I want to share is we had the rabbi come when my mom was still a little bit more with it, but after she'd made the decision that it was her time to go, and the rabbi came and and did basically the Jewish equivalent of like last confession and final rites and things of that nature. And, and there was this really beautiful prayer that she said to my mom, which is called a woman of valor, meaning like a woman of incredible strength. And, and it basically says like, of all the daughters of Israel today, you, Tamara Strauss, you have surpassed them all. And it was a really beautiful moment, just the rabbi and my mom and her amazing caretaker and me. And after the prayers, my mom turned to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, you need, to, you need to take care of Brandon when I'm gone. You need to protect him because my family is going to descend upon him and everybody's going to want a piece of him and it's going to be so hard. And, and I appreciated that. Even even then, she was still trying to protect me. And, and she wasn't wrong because they did descend upon me and it has been hell. But I looked at both of them and I said, I appreciate that, but also don't worry because I too... I'm a woman of valor and we all looked at each other and we all got it because the whole other layer of all of this is, you know, I've recently come out as non-binary and to be in a hospital setting is not the easiest place to be non-binary and to challenge people's calcified ideas about gender. And so I decidedly just wore boy clothes. You know, I wore a lot of jewelry But I wore boy clothes, and I just kind of made the decision that, like, I just needed to make things easier while I was there. And I never officially, like, came out to my mom as non-binary, but I know she knew who I was. And it went beyond words and labels. And it was, like, that moment between the three of us, the rabbi, my mom, and I, where I really just felt seen and, like, I was able to show up for myself and my full authenticity throughout this process. So... If you're still listening, thank you for being here to those gazers who got together and did some ritual work and sent love and light and prayers and healing my way and angels way and my mom's way. Uh, for those of you that don't know, there were some gazers that they got together and without knowing they actually did this work the, the night of the day that she passed. Mm-hmm. So we're all connected, y'all. We're all connected, and we're so grateful to be connected. And we hope that this episode just facilitates deeper and greater connection.
0: And so your reward for listening to all of our deepest of shares is a tarot card.
1: Y'all, nobody had more tarot or oracle decks than my mom. I don't know what we're going to do with all of them. There are so many
0: decks. It's insane.
1: Like, we don't have room in our house to store all of these decks. No. It's, like, out of control.
0: We'll have to donate them. To yeah, them. maybe we can find a way to donate them. Yeah, or something.
1: Yeah, for sure. Also, the same is probably true for her crystals. Like, there's just there's more than we'll ever be able to work with in our
0: lifetime. It's just so much. But we'll do our best to try. We'll certainly try. <laughs>
1: I know. All right, so this is the card that you need for this moment of your life. And the way you're going to make sure it's the right card for you is to take a moment and to connect to the spirit of the cards by listening into the sound of them being shuffled. And just trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. It's the Three of Cups. And the Three of Cups is hanging out with your sisters and having Aww. a good time. Three of Cups is love and intimacy that isn't bound by our ideas of romantic love, right? Like, we can love so many more people than just, you know, the being with whom you have sex. And the Three of Cups is about that love pouring forth and receiving it, too. The card itself, it's an image of these three beings, and they're all holding a cup. I like to think it's of wine, or maybe a dirty martini, <laughs> and they're dancing. And so the idea here is that, like, your friends, your chosen family, they can help you see yourself in ways that you forget how to see yourself. And this mirroring that can happen, the way that you see your friends, and you love your friends, and they they light up your life and you can reflect that back to them so that they can feel strong and empowered to move through whatever it is that they're moving through. It's really, it's a card about joy and celebration and about being in the moment and enjoying the pleasures of the moment, even when globally things are really, really hard. So I would just say, think about who your soft blanket people are. Who are those people that are your, your kin, you know, your, your soul family and find a way to get together with them and celebrate and survive and thrive and laugh and spill tea and kiki and all the things that remind you life is worth living. Life is worth living with joy. So we will do our best to find some joy out in the desert. I hope you do your best to find some joy wherever it is that you are and make sure your cup is filled. And if your cup isn't filled, find somebody you love to fill it for you.
0: As y'all know, we are so deeply grateful for you. Thank you for uh, being present, for listening, for supporting us. And um, we look forward to connecting with you all, hopefully very soon in the future. Uh, you can go to our website, thespiritualgaze.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there and get all the info on everything we have going on. You can uh, follow us on all the socials. Instagram, the Spiritual Gaze with one G. There's only one G because there's only one spiritual gaze. Uh, the uh, Spiritual Gaze of Facebook or Spiritual Gaze on Twitter. And so, until next time, this has been your transit through The the Spiritual Spiritual Gaze. We love you, Tammy.